The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. We're going to read our scripture now. Um, Our reading for today is from Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my, my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. So if you haven't already, I do invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 16. Uh, I'm sure that you have all heard the saying before, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But what if the problem is actually that the horse doesn't know how to drink? Then the need, what you would need to do in that situation is you would need to show this horse how to drink. You would need to get down on your knees, stick your face in the trough, and take a gulp. Last week, we saw that the purpose of the Psalms is to plant us like a tree by the streams of God's Word. His promises that ultimately all come to fulfillment in Jesus. But what good does it do us to be planted by the stream of Jesus if we don't know how to drink? I mean, if the stream is ultimately Jesus, how how do you drink down a cup of Jesus? Or... To use another metaphor, uh, we saw the the drinking metaphor in Psalm 1. We saw another metaphor in Psalm 2. At the end of Psalm 2, we were told, Blessed are all those who take refuge in Him, refuge in the Lord. How do you take refuge in Jesus? It's not like He's a literal safe room. James Spann comes on, you run down the hall, second door to the right, Jesus room. How do you take refuge in Jesus? How do you drink from Jesus? Is there a psalm? that gets down on its knees, sticks its face in the trough, and shows us how to take a gulp of God. Yes. Psalm 16. Psalm 16 shows us what it looks like to drink from the stream, to find full, forever joy in Jesus. That's what Psalm 1 and 2 promised us last week, right? Psalm 1 and 2 promise that the person who drinks from Jesus, who takes refuge in Jesus, will have full forever joy in Jesus. You remember? Psalm 1 began, first word, blessed, ashray, full joy forever. To who? To the one who drinks from Jesus. Psalm 2 ends that way. 
Blessed, Asherah, full joy forever. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Drinking from Jesus, taking refuge in Jesus. These are two metaphors that are saying the same thing because they have the same result. Blessing, blessed, Asherah, full joy forever. The promise of the Psalms is that the thirst of your soul for full forever joy is a thirst for the Messiah, for Jesus. And the purpose of the Psalms is to lead you again and again to that stream so that you can drink to your soul's satisfaction. And this morning I want us to see that the Psalms don't just lead us like a horse to that stream of water that is Jesus. No, the Psalms also show us how to drink. See this with me. Psalm 16. Let's begin in verse 1. Just the first four words. Preserve me, O God, this is a psalm of David. It's David's prayer right here. This is it. This is his petition. It's the whole request. It's the only request in Psalm 16. Preserve me. The Hebrew means preserve, keep, guard. Preserve me, keep me, guard me. Everything else in this psalm is going to serve that one request. David wants to be preserved, kept, guarded. For what? He doesn't tell us, at least not situationally. In other words, if there's a situation going on in David's life, and most likely there is, but if there's a situation going on in his life from which he needs protection, he doesn't give us any clue in this psalm as to what that is. He doesn't tell us what he needs to be preserved for situationally, but he does tell us what he needs to be preserved, kept, guarded for ultimately. Like, like, he does, at the end of the psalm, get to here is the preservation, the safety, the guarding, the keeping that I ultimately want, even if it ends up costing me situational preservation. Even if I suffer, even if whatever I'm facing in my life completely overtakes me and destroys me in death, I have an ultimate prayer for preservation. We're going to see that by the time we get to the end of the psalm very clearly. But for right now, we see David's petition And then we see him immediately give a reason to God that it should be granted. Preserve me, O God, for, because, here's why. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. you got to love David's moxie right here. You ever do this? I've done this. Give reasons to God as to why he should grant what you're asking for. David says, I want to be preserved. And you should do it, God. Why? What's the reason? For I take refuge in you. I drink from you. Remember, those metaphors are the same. I take refuge in you. I drink from you. Isn't that what we just said? Psalm 1 and 2 say, leads to full forever joy. David says, I do that. And then David proceeds to prove his case by unpacking how he does that. In verses 2 through 8, he unpacks four ways that he takes refuge in God. Four ways that he drinks from God. It's like David is getting down on his knees and showing us what it looks like to drink from the stream that is Jesus. This is what we want to see. And we see four things. Number one, drinking from Jesus looks like dependence on Jesus. Drinking from Jesus looks like dependence on Jesus. Look at verse 2. 
I say to the Lord, do you notice most likely in your English translation, the word Lord right there is in all caps. Maybe little and squished, but they're all caps. That's the translator's way of signaling to you what Hebrew word is behind that. It's the Hebrew word Yahweh. In other words, they're saying this is the covenantal name of God. I say to the Lord, my covenant God who loves me, who I'm in covenant relationship with, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Now notice that that one is not in all caps. That's because behind it is the Hebrew word Adonai, which means ruler, sovereign, master. Do you see what David's saying right here? I say to my covenant God, you are my sovereign ruler, my master, my Lord. I have no good apart from you. This is a statement of dependence. God, you're my Lord, my sovereign ruler. I I depend on you. I've got no good apart from you. In other words, all my good depends on you. This is a statement of dependence. It's the kind of thing that my kids should say to their mother every day. We have no good apart from you. Without you, there are no sandwiches, no band-aids, no kisses that make it all better, no bedtime stories, no life-giving hugs. Everything good that my children experience should direct them back to the ultimate good, their mother. This is what David means when he says, I have no good apart from you, God. He's not saying that he doesn't have anything in his life that he would consider good. There are lots of things in David's life that he would consider good. But all of those things direct him back to his ultimate good, to God. Without God, none of those things would be. David himself would not be. There is no good without God. David has no good apart from God. Like a child who depends upon her mother, David completely depends upon God. And that is how he drinks. And so do we. We drink from Jesus by depending on Jesus. Who or what do you depend on? Like if you take some honest self-reflection, who or what do you depend on? Or who or what is Lord sovereign ruler over your life. Do you want to know how you can figure out what the answer to that question is? Whatever or whoever you would look at and say, I have no good apart from you. That's your Lord. Ruler. That's that's what you, whatever you're clinging to as your ultimate good, that's what you depend on. That's what you're drinking from. Is it leaving you thirsty? Come, drink from Jesus. Drinking from Jesus looks like dependence on Jesus. Number two, drinking from Jesus looks like being devoted to Jesus. Drinking from Jesus looks like being devoted to Jesus. Look at verses three and four. David says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. This is a statement of devotion. David's saying, God, 
I'm not with people who run after other gods, people who are devoted to other gods. Everybody, Shades, is devoted to a god, themselves to worships whatever they believe will satisfy the thirst of their soul. Whatever you ultimately depend on is what you end up being devoted to. But right here we're being told no false God, no matter what it is, no matter what you devote yourself to in this life, no false God can ever bring full satisfaction. And that's because, Shades, whatever satisfaction a false God does bring ultimately comes to an end. If not in this life, then at least at death. It all ultimately comes to an end, leaving you ultimately not with satisfaction, but with sorrow. This is why David says those who run after other gods end up multiplying their sorrows. Because the sorrows of loss that they already experience in this life, they're going to be multiplied into eternity. Loss forever. Instead of fullness forever. Therefore, David says, I won't devote myself. I won't worship false gods. That's what he means when he says, I won't pour out their drink offerings of blood. I won't join in the worship of false gods. I, I won't even take their name on my lips in prayer or praise, he says. In other words, I won't even speak of them in a way that makes it look like they could give ultimate satisfaction. Shades, we may say that we don't run after other gods, but do we speak of them in a way that makes it look like they give ultimate satisfaction? I don't worship money or fame or my career or the culture or whatever, but do I talk about it in a way where it says, yeah, that's where I ultimately find satisfaction. Won't even take their names on my lips. David says, I will worship the one true God only. Pray to you only. Praise you only. I will drink from you, be devoted to you. But did you catch what David says that devotion to God looks like? It looks like being a part of a devoted community. Look back at it, verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. This is his contrast from going with another crowd to be devoted to false gods. This is what it looks like for me to be devoted to the one true God, to be with his people. I'm I'm not with people devoted to other gods. I'm with the people who are devoted to you. I delight in them. Do you delight in God's people? His church? I'm going to be honest, Shades. Being a part of the church doesn't always feel like a delight. But neither does always being a part of a marriage. Marriage is not always a delight. Parenting is not always a delight. Being a pastor, I know this is hard to believe, is not always a delight. But in my life, Shades, in all of those things, I am devoted to fighting the fight for delight. That's what devotion looks like. And devotion to the Lord, we're being told right here, looks like delighting in what He delights in. And He delights in His church. Are you devoted to the Lord? Here's how you check. Do you delight in what He delights in? Do you delight in His church? Shades, I run into so many people who claim just the opposite of this. They claim that their extreme devotion to the Lord is what leads them to despise the church and divorce themselves from it. 
Shades, that's impossible. I'm not saying that there aren't people who call themselves Christians that we should disassociate and separate ourselves from. Of course there are. I'm talking about people who would say, I'm so devoted to the Lord, I have to leave behind every church ever, all association with anyone who would ever claim the name of Jesus, because I alone have it right. It's not devotion to the Lord, it's devotion to self. You cannot be devoted to the Lord while simultaneously despising His people. John says it rather bluntly. 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Thanks for being vague, John. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You can't do it. You cannot be devoted to Christ without being devoted to that which he himself is devoted He's devoted to his church. That's his bride. He died for her. And in all of her brokenness, he doesn't leave her. He remains devoted to her, making her beautiful to you, to I. Shades, this past year has made being devoted to Christ's bride very difficult. And there has been a lot, a lot of despising one another in the church. Not a whole lot of delighting in one another. In Shades Valley, we, I love you and I love this place. We are not immune. We're not immune. And as your pastor, I'm calling you to a deeper level of devotion to Christ and his bride. I'm calling you to stay and let's fight our way back to delight. Yeah, it'll be messy. But don't we claim to value messy authenticity here? Is that just words? It'll be hard. Don't we claim to stay through the hard? Yes, it will require humbling of all of us. Not of some of us. It will require humbling ourselves before one another, confessing to one another, forgiving one another, and showing grace to one another even when we continue to disagree with one another. Because here's the reality, Shades. If we aren't willing to embrace humility, confession, forgiveness, grace, then we are not devoted to the gospel, much less to the God of the gospel. Shades, you want to know how to drink down Jesus to your soul's satisfaction? Be devoted to Jesus, to his gospel of grace. And there is no better place to learn such devotion. You have to learn what grace looks like, how to give it, receive it, forgiveness, confession. There is no better place to learn such grace than being devoted to his broken bride, of which each of us are a broken part. Drinking from Jesus looks like being devoted to Jesus. Number three, drinking from Jesus looks like desiring Jesus. Not just depending on him, not just being devoted to him, out of like some kind of duty, but desiring, wanting. Drinking from Jesus looks like desiring Jesus. Look at verses five and six. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup 
You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. This is a statement of desire. This is David saying his greatest desire in all of life is the Lord. He, he's using a metaphor to say it, a metaphor of inheriting land. When uh, all this terminology, it occurs a lot in the Bible when God's people took over the promised land and they divvied it up amongst the tribes. They divvied it up amongst the tribes by lot. A lot is kind of like rolling dice or drawing straws. And they used lots to parcel out portions of the land. And whatever piece of land each tribe received, that was their portion. It was their lot. It was their inheritance. However, if you remember, there was one tribe... Levites, who did not receive any plot, portion, inheritance. They did not receive any land because, as the priestly tribe, the Levites' portion was the Lord. Do you see what David's saying right here? Bring all of that to what David's saying right here. David's not a Levite. He's from the tribe of Judah. One could arguably say he's got the best portion kingly tribe he himself is the king but right here it's like he's saying spread out all the portions before me don't cast a lot let me choose i want god he's my portion over every other offer in this world he's my desire And as if that's not enough, David pushes past describing his own desire into describing God's design. Look at that right here. He he says that he it's, it's not that he just desires God as his portion. He tells us God's design is to give him, to give us himself as our portion. Look at verse five again. The Lord is my chosen portion, my cup. You hold my lot. You, God, you hold my lot. Those dice that are being rolled. Proverbs says the lot is cast in the lap and it's every decision is from the Lord. David's acknowledging that here. You hold my lot. You're the sovereign ruler. You're sovereign over what lot I receive. The lot I desire, God, is you. But I can't guarantee that I'll get you. I'm not sovereign, but you are. You hold my lot. You design my portion. And as a result, look at what David can say in verse 6. The lines, those are boundary lines, have fallen for me in pleasant places. David's saying, because you hold my lot, what I want, I'll get you. I'll get that portion, that marked off piece of land that is God himself. Okay, I know that's what he's saying because the word right here for pleasant places is actually just the word pleasures. It's the same Hebrew word that's going to appear down in verse 11 where he says that in God's presence at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. David's saying, I get you. I get you. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places in pleasures. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Beautiful because it's God. Shades, if you spread out If you spread out before you everything that this world has to offer, what's your desire? What do you want? You can have anything. What what do you want? What are you willing to roll the dice of your life on and see if it will satisfy? David's desire is the Lord. And this is no gamble. 
It's no roll of the dice. It's no toss of the lot because God, the sovereign ruler, holds his lot. Therefore, David knows the lines will fall for me in pleasant places. You will give me a beautiful inheritance because you will give me yourself. You will work every ounce of your sovereign power to give me you. Shades, no other lot, no other portion comes with that kind of guarantee. There's nothing, in other words, there is nothing in life that you can choose to seek pleasure in where that thing can guarantee you'll get the pleasure you seek. Nothing can offer that guarantee, but God can. Everything else is a roll of the dice and a toss of the lot, but when you desire Jesus, that desire is met by his design to give you himself. This is why drinking from Jesus actually satisfies the thirst of your soul with full forever joy because you're guaranteed to get Jesus. Shades, drink from Jesus. Drinking from Jesus looks like desiring Jesus. Number four, drinking from Jesus looks like doing all of this. Depending, devoting, desiring, Drinking from Jesus looks like doing all this through the word of Jesus. Verses 7 and 8. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. This is a statement of doing. David is telling us what he does. I set the Lord always before me. And he says that he does that. He's doing it through God's word, through his counsel and instruction. Those are just a few of the very many terms that Psalms uses to describe the word of God. And it is through that word that David says he is always setting the Lord before him. This shapes David's dependence on the Lord, his devotion to the Lord, his desire for the Lord. David does all of that through the word. How does David depend on God? Through the word. The word holds out the truth of who God is, that he is the sovereign ruler of the world. He's faithful to the end. He can be trusted. And the word leads us to depend on Jesus. How does David devote himself to the Lord? Through the Word. The Word is what calls us away. It shows us the emptiness of devoting ourselves to anything and everything else. And it calls us away from devoting ourselves to false gods that lead to destruction. And the Word roots us in a devoted community that delights in the God they know through the Word. The Word leads us to devotion to Jesus. How does David desire the Lord? Through the Word. The word reveals the glory of God, his goodness, his greatness, his beauty. It reveals to us there's no greater portion, no grander inheritance, no pleasure as powerful as having him. The word leads us to desire Jesus. Drinking from Jesus looks like doing all of this, depending, being devoted, desiring, doing all of this through the word of Jesus. Is this not the very thing that we saw last week in Psalm 1 where drinking from Jesus was compared to meditating on his word? Is that not what David says he's doing right here? Look at verse 7 again. In the night also my heart 
instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me. David says, even in the night, my heart takes the word which I have memorized. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word, his heart takes the word that he has memorized and turns it over in his mind. Rings it out like a rag until he gets every last good drop of God out. He keeps on instructing him as he meditates on it. Through it, he's always setting the Lord before him. Is this not what David has actually been doing throughout the entirety of Psalm 16? See this, Shades. Throughout the entirety of this psalm, has David not been setting before himself the truth of who God is? The one on whom I can depend. The one worthy of all my devotion. The one who satisfies my deepest desire. Look at the result. Look at the result of David setting constantly before him through the word who God is. Look at verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. That's, That's your sword hand. It's your hand of attack. In other words, he's saying the Lord is my defender, my refuge. I've set him before me as my refuge. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. In other words, I'll be preserved. I'll be kept. I'll be guarded. That was David's petition back up in verse 1, was it not? Preserve me. Keep me. Guard me, O God. Do you see what's happened to David's petition by the time we get to verse 8? It's turned from a petition into a proclamation. It's not a request to preserve me. It's a statement, a declaration. I will be preserved. I won't be shaken. I will be kept. I will be guarded. David started this psalm by praying to be preserved. And he started giving God reasons why he should be preserved. But somewhere along the way, David was no longer really giving God reasons he should preserve him. No, he was giving himself reasons God would preserve him. Do you see the shift? The psalm shifted from David praying to God to proclaiming to himself, to setting the Lord before himself. He's my refuge, my sovereign ruler, my good upon whom I depend. I'm devoted to him. He's my desire. And by his sovereign design, he will give me himself. He will preserve me, keep me, guard me, and give me himself forever. I I won't be shaken. Shaved. No matter the preservation David may have been praying for situationally. That's that's been left in the rearview mirror. No matter what that was. Whatever he was praying for situationally, he won't be shaken because he knows that he will be preserved ultimately. This is how the entire Psalter shapes our prayers. The entire, almost all of our prayers are this root prayer, preserve me, O God. In some way, shape, form, or fashion, that's at the root of all of our petitions. Keep me, guard me, guard this, keep this, protect this, whatever it is. 
And the Psalter is constantly meeting us wherever we are regarding our petitions, whether we are in a place of depression, whether we're in a place of anger, whether we're in a place of hurt, whether we're in a place of doubt, whatever place we are, the Psalter meets us there and then puts us on a trajectory by assuring us that no matter matter what happens to our situational request for preservation, we will be given what we ultimately need for preservation. Nothing will take God from us. This is the promise of the Psalter. God reigns and God will give you Himself in Christ forever. And the purpose of the Psalter is to plant us no matter where we are, meet us where we are, and plant us by that stream so that we come and we drink our fill of Jesus. No matter what preservation David was praying for situationally, he won't be shaken because he knows he will be preserved ultimately. Even if all around his soul gives way, he will be preserved by the one on whom he ultimately depends, God. Even if, if everyone betrays him, all the, the ones he delights in, even if all the people of God, even if they betray him, they desert him, they leave him, the one to whom he gives his ultimate devotion will keep him, God. Even if David should die, let's say whatever he's praying to be preserved for is a life threat. That was common for David. And even if that situational prayer for preservation should not be granted, will David's prayer for ultimate preservation to still get God forever as his joy, will that be granted? Yes, even if David should die, God whom he desires more than life will guard him through the grave so that he gets God forever. That is precisely what David goes on to proclaim. Look at verses 9 through 11. Therefore, I won't be shaken. I'm going to be preserved. God sovereignly holds my lot. He will give me himself. No matter what happens to me situationally in this life, I will ultimately get him. Therefore, my heart is glad. Right now, no matter what happens to me situationally, I get him ultimately. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. How can you say that, David? What if you get killed right now? What if you die and go down to the grave? How's your flesh dwelling secure then, bud? Whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, to the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption, body rotting. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures forevermore. Is it any wonder that David says, I will not be shaken? I will not be shaken because I know, I know, I have you. God, the thing I desire, the one I'm devoted to, the one on whom I depend, my delight, I have you forever. So right now, whatever David is facing situationally that caused him to pray for preservation, whether that's suffering, betrayal, or even if David is staring death in the face, he can say, I rejoice. Because ultimately, not even death can take God from me. Look at verse 9 again. My whole being rejoices my flesh dwells secure how david for because you will not abandon my soul to sheol the grave or let your holy one see corruption my whole being rejoices soul and flesh 
spirit and body. My soul rejoices because you won't abandon it to the grave. My flesh rejoices because you won't let it see permanent corruption rotting in the ground. David is confident that he won't be separated from God by the grave. Death won't be his final resting place. What will be? Verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures forevermore. forevermore. David says there's a path out of the grave to life. David believes there's a path out of the grave to life. To your presence, God, full joy forever with you. That is the preservation for which David ultimately prayed it's the preservation which jesus taught every last one of us to ultimately pray for our father in heaven hallowed hallowed be your name above any and every request that i have for myself hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done i want you more than anything else i want you this is how jesus himself prayed in the garden sweating drops of blood father if it be possible let this cup pass from me nevertheless not as i will but as you will what i ultimately want even if this situational thing cannot be avoided i want you i want your will i want your glory i want you as my joy forever this is the preservation for which david ultimately prayed preserve me keep me guard me for full joy forever you i depend on you devoted to you. I desire you. I delight in you and I want to delight in you forever. This is what drinking from Jesus leads to. Drinking from Jesus looks like depending on him, being devoted to him, desiring him, but drinking from Jesus leads to delighting. There's no greater delight. Verse 11 says he's full joy forever. Try to graph that. Full joy forever. There's no line on the graph. It's solid. Just draw little infinity marks. Full joy for as much joy as possible for as long as possible. If Jesus is the stream, then he is the deepest stream and the longest stream. You can swim in him forever in every direction and never find an end. When you're in him, you are drowning in joy. He he is preserving you for nothing less than the best. And the best is himself. Chase, do you see what this means in all of the call that we have had placed on us through Psalm 16? The call to depend on Him, be devoted to Him, to desire Him. The the call to depend on Him is not calling you away from depending upon better things. It's calling you away from depending on lesser things, to depend on that which is the best. You're not being called away from being devoted to sin that would be way more satisfactory. Sin ultimately multiplies sorrow. No, you're being called to be devoted to your greatest satisfaction. You see the power this provides for fighting sin? This is the power provided in my own life that I experienced the most for fighting sin. The fact that fighting against sin is not me having to deny a superior pleasure for a lesser one. It is denying a lesser pleasure for a far superior one. As C.S. Lewis would put it, it's denying making mud pies in a slum for a holiday at the beach. 
desiring Jesus is not taking you away from things that are more desirable. He's full pleasure forever. He's not giving you anything less than the best. The best is himself. He loves you too much to give you anything less than the best. Shades, the best you can pray for, you can ask for, you can desire. The best is not that God preserve you from suffering in this life. The best is that you get more of him by depending on him through suffering. The best is not that he keep us as a body from difficulty and disagreement, but that we grow in devotion to him and one another as we fight for delight, even amidst difficulty and disagreement. The best is not that he even guard you from the grave, but that through it he preserves, keeps, and guards your greatest desire, him. The best, the ultimate, is that he makes a way out of the grave for you to fully enjoy him forever. And David says in verse 11, there is a way. There is a path of life, a path out of the grave to full joy forever in the presence of God. We know the way out of the grave, Shades. His name is Jesus. That's what Peter declares in Acts chapter 2 and verse 24. Peter quotes Psalm 16. Listen to what he says. He says, God raised Jesus up, loosing the pains of death, making a path out of the grave. He raised Jesus up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says, concerning him, concerning Jesus, you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter goes on to declare, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. In other words, he's saying he's in the ground. He is rotting. So what in the world was David talking about in Psalm 16? He says, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his flesh see corruption. Do you see? Do you see what Peter's saying? He's saying that David's confidence in Psalm 16 is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus. David's confidence that God would take him through the grave to full joy forever in his presence, it was rooted in the truth that God would defeat death for him. And he has, through Jesus, God in the flesh defeated death for all who depend on him, are devoted to him, desire him, drink from him to their heart's delight. This is why all of my points, my four points, this is why all of them have been about Jesus. That we depend on Jesus, are devoted to Jesus, desire Jesus. We do all that through the word of Jesus. All of my points have included Jesus because Psalm 16 leads us to drink from Jesus. He's the refuge in Psalm 16. He's the sovereign ruler. He's the good. He's the inheritance. He's the portion. He's the lot. It's Jesus. And he defeated death so that he might be our delight forever. Shades, drink from him. The Psalms, every last one of them, the Psalms lead us to this drink, like a horse to water. And they even show us how to drink. The only question is, 
is will we? Will we be shaped by this word? We drink from it and be shaped by it to depend on Jesus, be devoted to him, desire him more than anything. Will we drink from Jesus to find he is our hearts full and forever delight?